0: Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and moved closer toward the gospel by this week's message. This is the fourth sermon out of four in a sermon series exploring practical rhythms of what it means to live a life in Christ. So we looked first at worship, and then we looked at formation. Last week, we looked at healthy community and loving our enemies, and then this morning, we're looking at mission. So, let's pray. Father, we do pray that the words of my mouth and then the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable. Would you cause your word to come alive in us? Help us to trust it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a little unique because we're cramming an annual meeting between services this morning, so I'm going to be very concise, and that's why Matt looked at me and was like, no, we're not doing a second song. Um, So we're going to keep it short and sweet this morning. So I really have narrowed the goal of this sermon to to just one simple goal, and that is to help us situate the idea of mission within the big picture of God's mission, which we heard read this morning, to unite heaven and earth. That is the mission of God. So first, a few preliminary comments about the church's identity then we're going to watch a bible project video any of you know the bible project wonderful resource we're going to check out a video there and then finally just an exhortation so first what what is the church's mission that's the question before us i think the place to start is to ask what is the nature of the church and that helps us finally answer what is the church's mission i recently caught wind of the he gets us campaign has anyone heard of this he gets us or seen the commercials so you will probably soon. There's going to be a campaign leading up to the Super Bowl where there's going to be a commercial in the Super Bowl basically intended to rebrand Jesus. That's the explicit goal. The, the net spend of this campaign is $100 million. $100 million. It puts it in the same financial arena as Old Navy or Mercedes-Benz. Now, I went and looked, out some of the video, I went, lo- looked at some of the videos on YouTube. My initial impression was a little mixed, though actually I found exploring the content pretty heartening. But what I found especially interesting was that after doing an enormous amount of research and combing through data and, and, and analyzing the markets, the experts led to kind of honing in on this question. They were going to spend $100 million trying to answer this central question How did the world's greatest love story in Jesus become known as a hate group? How did the world's greatest love story in Jesus become known as a hate group? Well, of course, the campaign has some critics. So one, one critic's name is Brad Abare, and he pushes back on this whole idea of rebranding Jesus with commercials. He says, Jesus knew that the best way to spread the word was to live a life worth following. It's actually about how we live. Now, I think he has a point. No marketing campaign ever, no matter how elaborate, no matter how expensive, will successfully rebrand Jesus as the God of love if the followers of Jesus, his church, don't love it's just not going to work. The church must be a, a plausibility structure that legitimizes the message that's on the billboards. So consider what the church actually is. First Corinthians says the church is the body of Christ. In Revelation, the church is often called the bride of Christ. Elsewhere, the church is called God's house. And then finally, this morning, we heard Red and, and Peter, not just his body or his bride or his family, but his temple. Now, what do all these things share in common? To be the church is to be intimately joined to Christ. It is to be intimately united to him. His body, his bride, his family, and then 2 Peter, his temple. Verse 5, you yourselves, talking to you, the church, are like living stones. Living stones being built into a temple, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So with this picture of you being living stones in a temple, and of us being a temple of God, take a look at this video from the Bible Project and keep an eye out for what the temple is. Big takeaway. Those who encounter the church of Jesus are not supposed to encounter a hate group, to say the least. Those who encounter the church of Jesus are supposed to encounter heaven. These little purple pockets of heaven spreading out into the world because the mission of God is to redeem the world by bringing together and uniting heaven and earth. The church is called to be one of those little pockets of purple, like a little signpost to the future of God restoring all things. So Peter's description of the church in chapter 2-9 drives the point home. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now I have a little slide here of an iceberg Because Peter lifts these words right out of, do you see the iceberg back there, Cameron? Wonderful. Um, He lifts these words right out of Exodus 19 and 20, which is God's address to Israel gathered at Sinai. These are the definitive words for who Israel is and for their role in the story of God. Israel's role was to embody God's holiness as a community, as a community. And now Peter gives that role to the church, to the ecclesia, which is the, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, uses that word to describe Israel gathered at Sinai. It's where the word church comes from. So that is why following Jesus is not individualistic. It's communal. So what does being a holy nation actually look like? As you put the Ten Commandments and then the, the holiness codes of Leviticus 19, which Peter also draws on as he talks about us being a holy nation, as you put them under a microscope, you don't find just an arbitrary list of do's and do nots you find this thread of redemption. And I use that word in a very specific way. Redemption could mean just like the salvation of Jesus, but very specifically, it has a very specific meaning. This is the way the IVP Dictionary Biblical Theology says, defines redemption. Redemption refers to salvation through Jesus generally, but specifically to the release, to the release of people, of animals, or of property from bondage, through outside help. Their social, physical, or spiritual weakness makes redemption necessary. They need to be delivered from bondage. Only someone strong and rich can do this. So God plays a role in, leading role in redemption. So if you look at this call to holiness, the holiness codes, and the Ten Commandments, you see this thread of redemption. Why? Well, notice how the Ten Commandments begin I am the Lord your God who redeemed you out of Egypt. It always begins by establishing we are the people who have been redeemed. Israel from slavery in Egypt, us, the church, from our sins. So it always begins with God's action of redeeming. Now then, look at what he says. In response to your redemption, this is how you should live. This is what holiness looks like. So here's just a random sampling from the holiness codes of Leviticus 19. I know some of you love Leviticus. It's actually a great book. Here it is. I don't know if this is how you've understood holiness in the past, but listen. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Why? Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Why? Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. Redeem them. Be redemptive. Don't pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. Judge your neighbor fairly. Verse 16, don't go about spreading slander among your people. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 32, stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly. Revere your God. Verse 33, when a foreigner, when an immigrant resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your own native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were once foreigners in Egypt. In other words, redeem them as you have been redeemed. And on and on it goes. Do you see how relational holiness actually is? Israel is to respond to their redemption by being a redemptive community to the communities around them relating to God, to one another, and to the poor, and to the immigrant, and the ways that reflect God's goodness, his justice, his mercy, his love on display. And that is why this whole idea of the social justice gospel versus the actual gospel, there's not a tension there. There is no tension. God is a God of justice. So this redeemed community, being redemptive, is the commercial. You see, it is the billboard that Jesus intends. It's us living as holy, redeemed people. Now, verse 12, I think, kind of gives us the essence of what we mean by redemptive mission. Verse 12 in, in 1 Peter says this, 1 Peter 2, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And again, when we hear that, we go back to the holiness codes, because that's where Peter sent us. So, keep your conduct honorable. Why? So that they may see, here's the purpose, so that they may see your commercials so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. This verse gives us the essence of Peter's missionary strategy. It is to, it's to embody heaven as a community before the watching world. Peter's vision for, for mission is this. Christians being Christians. <laughs> being like Jesus. Here's one scholar summary. Wolfgang Strange is his name. Peter expects missionary success from Christian life Christian life lived in the power of the word, representing its reality, not necessarily with a zeal for for conversion, though that has its place, but in the knowledge that one's life is a form of proclamation, which can affirm or deny the authenticity of the gospel. The church is a plausibility structure, right? What the world needs most is a church that is holy. That is what the... the, the, You know, Denver has a lot of non-Christians, and what it needs most... Is a saint. Programs have their place, absolutely, but it needs you and I to embody the love of Jesus, to to go into their homes, to, to go to our streets as temples, bringing the presence of God with us, loving them as we love ourselves. So then the scholar goes on to say, What was Peter's strategy for mission? It was for the church to act as a witness to the surrounding community through the quality of its life together. That's what he says is the inhale. And then to go outside the church and live in a way that continues to bear witness to the people, to people they encounter in everyday life. That's the exhale. So it isn't just to gather and be holy together, it's to let that holiness, this holy community, overflow into our streets and neighborhoods. Then he says these key words, which I want to highlight. He says, baptism. So how many of you have been baptized? That's how many of you are missionaries. He says, baptism is far more than a symbolic nod to tradition. It is one's commissioning into missionary existence. So here we come to the missional strategy of Advent, as I've said it before. It could be summarized like this Are you baptized? <laughs> then you are the missional strategy. Go and be a Christian in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, on your streets. Now the problem with the the He Gets Us campaign may be, it has great intentions. It does. I really believe that. And it may do some good. I pray it does. But the problem is, is that the church ultimately doesn't have a PR problem. It has a discipleship problem. Should we market what we don't actually have to offer? Caitlin Chess put it this way. The church, is it's like it's trying to adopt children into a dysfunctional family. So commercials may be great, but More critical is being a redeemed community of God, actually being redemptive together, loving one another, forgiving our enemies, forgiving one another, and enacting justice and mercy on behalf of the poor spiritually and actually poor in our midst and in our neighborhoods. So I think it comes down to this. This is kind of the critical question. Is the role of the church to transform society or to be transformed into the image of Jesus? Is the role of the church to transform society or to be transformed into the image of jesus well i think we most of us would want to say both right but the scriptures teach us that we have no hope of doing the former transforming society if we aren't doing the latter no hope at all peter has emphasized that it is precisely in our being transformed into jesus that redemptive mission happens So another scholar summarizes it this way. It is the life of an alternative community demonstrating a distinct, redemptive quality of life together that is the most evangelistically effective strategy in the current reality. In other words, the church has to actually be the church together. So where does this leave us? To you, living stones in the temple of God, church of Christ, body of Christ, bride of Christ, temple of God, you have been united to Jesus intimately. And know that your first mission in life is this, to grow up into holiness. To grow up into holiness, into the holiness and to the love of Christ. So what I'm trying to do is make sure we don't, have a, we don't draw this huge distinction between our formation in Christ and our mission in the world. These two things are, in, are, are absolutely linked and must remain linked. So that's the first thing I'm trying to help us see. And second, I'm trying to help us see that the mission of God is to unite heaven and earth and he's done that in you by making you his bride, by making you his body. You are where heaven and earth now meet. And so imagine yourself with a little temple on your head as you go back home this afternoon, and as you have an interaction with your neighbor or this week at work. You are a bearer of God's presence. So don't forget that. And that isn't to make you feel guilty, right? Not at all, but it's to help you remember who you really are, that you are a place where heaven and earth meet, and now you have been empowered to actually bring that to other people through a kind word, through a redemptive act of mercy, through bringing justice. There's all kinds of ways we can be redemptive together. Now, in a little bit, we're going to get more practical in the annual meeting. We're going to share a little bit about some of the ways we're doing that and aspire to do that more, more practically, but I've just sort of set the stage theologically for us for that conversation. And I want to end by just echoing again the prayer of Jesus, which summarizes his mission on earth. Lord, we pray that you would bring your kingdom, that your kingdom would come in each of us, in each of our hearts, in each of our families, in each of our workplaces, in each of our neighborhoods, that you would bring your kingdom and that your will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Fill us with the hope of the day that you finally do redeem all the earth and wipe every tear from our eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.